You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Joining us today is Ben Offit, a principal of Offit Advisors. Ben began his career in financial planning in 2009 when he discovered he wanted to combine his passion of making the world a better place while also helping clients get their financial affairs in order. Ben has been named a five-star wealth manager by Baltimore Magazine every year since 2018, including this year. Ben prides himself on being able to explain technical planning concepts in terms clients can understand. So we're really glad about that. Because as mental health practitioners, understanding financial terms in everyday language is much appreciated. And also, we appreciate making efforts to make the world a better place as well. So welcome, Ben. We're glad you're joining us. I've known Ben for a while. And um, during recent conversations with him, it occurred to me that sort of in a duh moment, this was a topic of financial planning, financial just literacy. Um, is a topic that's of utmost importance to um, practitioners um, and it can have a profound um, impact on their lives. Um, so Ben is one of those guests where we are so fortunate to have him visit us here on the podcast um, and give us some of his valuable time to talk about that topic. Um, and while it's not directly related to compliance, um, it absolutely is, as I said, critical to practitioners to know about. Um, and it can have a profound impact on them. Yeah. And counselors and mental health practitioners, we work hard. So we want to make sure that we're making wise decisions um, with money. So I know that, Ben, we have a list of questions for you. So we are going to get started. I'm going to start first. I want to ask maybe kind of a, a, a central question, I guess. You know, why? What's the why here? Why should practitioners care about the topic of financial planning? What, what is, why is this something that should be important to them? That's a great question. I think it's uh, important just because the same way, you know, your personal health and your mental health uh, is important. Um, mm-hmm. Your financial health is something that everybody needs on a day-to-day basis uh, to survive and thrive. And uh, you want to make sure it's in good order so you can, you know, live appropriately. So I really view what we do is kind of being akin to like uh, being a financial doctor and, uh, or, you know, financial medical practitioner in a way. So, yeah. Yeah. And I like the way that you worded that, right? I'm thinking about even financial health and how that relates to stress and even mental health and some, I don't know, unpleasant scenarios that you hear about where people make drastic decisions um, because finances were not in a good place and they were so stressed out. So I really like that you're talking about that from a position of health and also thinking about how that relates to other parts of our life and our well-being as well. Yeah. And I like that you pointed out just just about the doctor side of things, that that's something that mental health practitioners obviously understand is about the psychological well-being and uh, healthcare. And it's a useful analogy, I think, or comparison to kind of help some perspective why this is something that should matter to them. Absolutely. You know, that's how we view it. And that's how we try to treat our clients as if they're our patients. And, you know, we try to, you know, look at things thoroughly head to toe and see what's, what's healthy, what's not healthy, what's working, what's not working. And, you know, just try to stay, you know, with them for a long-term 
relationship and make sure they're as you know financially healthy as we can we can help them be. So some of the people who are listening are business owners. They have private practices or they have group practices. And we have other people who are working at agencies or hospitals. Um, so we're wondering if you can talk with us a little bit about how financial planning can be helpful for mental health practitioners in either scenario. Like if you could give us some examples of things that you might be working on with someone if they're at an agency or if it's their own business. Yeah, good question. Well, you know, I think everybody needs to take care of their own personal uh, financial health, whether they're a business owner or not. Um, whether you you know work as an employee somewhere, whether you own your own business, you have your own personal finances, like your family and you and your kids and your future and your household. That's that's one thing that everybody has in common. Uh, but business owners have another dimension uh, because not only do they have their, their personal financial well-being, but they have their business financial well-being as well. And technically, you know, they're an employee of their of their business. And that's a separate entity. We need to make sure that that entity as well uh, is being financially stable and, and successful. So um, it's important just to think about it in that way. But you know, there's a lot of things to think about from uh, cash flow to insurance to investments to uh, tax strategy, you know, on a personal level uh, and a business level. And, you know, those are all things we try to help clients through and, you know, put those puzzle pieces together. So one of the things we talk about on here, um, we've mentioned this before, is that practitioners really need to have sort of an external team. Okay. You know, they really should have an attorney. They really should have um, a bookkeeper or an accountant. They really should have, depending on their size, they may want to have an HR consultant of some sort. You know, and this is one of those areas too where I think this is someone that they should have um, on call as part of their team, a financial planner. So the question I have for you, and 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 the answer may be no, or maybe they uh, elaborate on this bit, but you know, how is what you do with Offit Advisors? Because I know that you guys have tax planning too. Um, but I also know you have um, people who work with student loans, and I know you have work with people who work with um, um, other areas like um, uh, uh, insurance. Um, how is that different? Your role you play different from an accountant, or is it similar, or is it kind of crossover with that? I think there's a crossover. Um, you know, I think that our model is probably different than the traditional model. I think the traditional model is. You know, accountants do one thing, financial planners do one thing, insurance people do another thing, you know, investment people, retirement plan people do another, and people just kind of stay in their lane. You know, our our model is different that we're trying to, you know, merge those things together for the benefit of the the consumer or the or the business owner or practitioner. We want to be able to serve clients different ways under one roof, as opposed to them having to get four or five different advisors of different kinds. And those practitioners or, or advisors aren't necessarily talking or working together. So, you know, we try to you know serve our clients as deeply and as thoroughly as we can, and that's why we've kind of moved in that direction. So it sounds like you know it's kind of like almost like a, a one stop shop in some ways, and that's a crude way of putting it. But really, what's what's nice is then is if there's a practice owner, um, someone trying to figure out their financial planning. Um, they can come to you. They can have their their bookkeeper, whoever it is, but they can work really work with you to kind of figure out all these different aspects that all kind of tie in to create this robust, healthy financial picture. Much as if you know, you used to um, kind of compare it to a doctor on um, your own health. Um, it's sort of the same way, and it's a comprehensive plan 
for the person for their future, essentially. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, and going back to the doctor analogy, you know, the way we would look at it is imagine you go to your doctor and, you know, maybe you've got a heart issue or, you know, an ear issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe those things are connected, maybe they're not, or maybe, you know, there's a mental health issue there as well. But, you know, instead of all these people trying to figure out what's right or wrong and they're not working together, we're saying, well, maybe we can have. Um, that ear doctor and that heart doctor, that mental health practitioner under the same roof. So they're working together to kind of diagnose the client mm-hmm. together collaboratively. And that's kind of our model. Yeah. And so something that I've been thinking about after the conversation I had recently, as Dan mentioned, we're always talking with people about building your team, that if you're not skilled mm-hmm. in something, there are people who this is their training and they are there to help support you because that might not be your scope of practice or your scope of training. And I was in a, re- a meeting recently and they were saying, you know, even if you're delegating some of these responsibilities, even if you're working with a professional advisor to help you with your bookkeeping, your accounting, or your financial planning, that it's still really important for you, the person or business owner, to have some financial literacy and to know your numbers and to be looking at your bookkeeping. And this person supported their rationale for that statement saying that they've had a million experiences that they've heard about in their work where the person that they trusted misused their trust and they had no idea because they weren't looking, they weren't paying attention. Um, And I'm guessing that numbers for, not that that's true for everybody, but I know like numbers aren't my favorite thing. So for people who are you know, a little bit nervous about numbers, looking at their books, looking at their bank accounts, or just who don't feel the most financially literate. What are some things that they can do just to increase their skills in that area so they can be knowledgeable as they are working with a professional? That's a great question. A lot of good questions today. If it's someone that's, you know, just getting started or just trying to figure this out, um, you know, I think whether they're a business owner or whether they're um, an individual, um, I would say one of the first things they need to figure out is really cash flow. Uh, cash flow is king, so to speak. It's a common phrase. Mm-hmm. The cash flow of the business or the cash flow of your personal financial household, uh, if it's positive, is going to generate positive results in different ways. If it's negative, it's going to generate negative results in different ways. So I'd say that's probably one of the first things to look at is you know simply what is coming in. What is going out? What's the difference? Is it positive? Is it negative? If it's negative, how do we turn this into a positive? And if it is positive, well, how do we, you know, use the positive? How do we use that surplus, you know, for our business or for our personal lives, you know, to accomplish goals or objectives or allocate that those resources? So I think that's fundamentally one of the first places to begin, you know, whether you're a business or, or an individual or a family. Okay. Um and in general, you know, we, we want to be able to trust the people that we're working with. Um, and counselors or mental health practitioners, we have a fiduciary relationship with our clients, right? Meaning that it's a position of trust and it's expected that our, our clients are going to be able to trust us, should be able to trust us. I know that at least within the financial industry, I've heard conversations about whether or not a financial advisor is a fiduciary or are they not, Right. And I know that in a lot of situations, I'm imagining if someone is looking for a financial advisor, financial planner, there people might just assume that the person I'm paying to 
to work with me is definitely going to be working on my behalf. Is there anything that consumers can be doing to make sure that whoever they work with is someone who's going to be working on their behalf the way that they might expect them to? Is there anything that consumers or practitioners should be doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I know I keep saying that, but you know, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll word here. Sure. Um, that is a common question that we get. That's a common terminology or you know, uh, word. It's a very hot word. It's been that way for a number of years now. Fiduciary. It's a good word. Um, just like you said, you're right. I mean, by law, it means you have to operate in your best in the best interest of your client. And that sounds like that would be, you know, baseline or you know the you know something that's required at a minimum. But you know, in our industry, the financial services industry. It, it's gone through an evolution and it's still going through an evolution. Uh, and it's, you know, I think really just now becoming like a real profession. Um, I think its roots are more or less really more in sales, uh, like product sales. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the problem, uh, you know, where the industry has been is why not everybody is a fiduciary. So it's kind of like, and I actually made a video about this on our website years ago. Um, Relating back to the medical industry, it's kind of like, you know, imagine you go to a doctor and the doctor says, like, there's no fee for the visit. You know, this is complimentary and we're going to help you. But you walk out of that doctor's appointment with like a prescription every time of like a new drug (laughs) or something. And so that's kind of how the financial services industry has been. It's like that doctor is not there to serve you necessarily, maybe they are representing a drug company and they're there to kind of prescribe that medication, you know, and that's really what they're doing. So a lot of financial advisors really are technically like representing an insurance company or investment company. And they're there to kind of bring that company's products into the marketplace. Uh, When they're doing that, they're not necessarily really, really giving advice on a fiduciary level. They're kind of more or less using financial planning or financial advising as a mechanism to sell those products. And I think that's really pretty hard for the consumer to really see that fully. Right. Um, and so that's really where this fiduciary thing was born is saying, well, you know, I want someone that's not just there to sell me products, but someone that's really going to be unbiased, objective advice instead of that person working on a commission they're working on a fee basis or an advisory basis. So that's really the distinction. So the way that the person can figure that out or, you know, is say, well, you know, how am I paying you for your services? And, you know, technically, if you're not paying some sort of advice, advice fee or advisory fee, whether that's through a financial planning fee or, you know, an investment advisory fee of some way, if you're just paying through commissions on products or investments in some way, then, you, then you're, you're not technically in a fiduciary relationship. Now, besides just asking, like, hey, would this be a fiduciary relationship? Is there some other way that people can find out? Yes, there's disclosures that the advisor has to make now uh, through regulation that they have to basically fully disclose how they're compensated and what kind of relationship they're serving clients in. And, um, you know, uh, there's forms called a form ADV, um, part one and part two. There's uh, a CRS form. That they can ask for and review. Um, so these are all, you know, mandated ways to, you know, to describe how you're performing your services. Yeah. 
it almost sounds it's it's what you're describing to me being an attorney. It sounds a lot like the relationship I have with my clients as an attorney, where you know when I give clients advice, it's because it's what the advice I think is best for them, right? It's not because somebody's paying me money to say tell them this or tell them that, you know, or you know have them do a will because you know and we'll, you know you'll get paid X amount of dollars for a will. You know, it sounds to me more like what you're describing. What Offit, which your which your um, organization does, Offit Advisors does is. Um, advise based on what's best for the client, right? And that's to me that makes a lot more sense. And that's to me is the model I think that is probably just the best fit. I mean, that's you know, if you're pushing a product, are you really interested in the best interest of your client? Where it sounds to me more like what you're describing is the much more wholesome. That's the best way. The goals, and I, and I've been your website and you talk about this. The goals of um, you know, you're focused on being um, everyone's people's team. You're focused on helping them achieve the goals that they want to achieve, not necessarily what you want. You know, you want to push, but it's what they want to achieve, and how can you you best help them? And I think that this is especially important for mental health providers because our industry we've got lots of rules and regulations that we have to follow. I think even compared to the medical model, where a doctor might get paid Mm -hmm. for prescribing a particular medication, if a if a mental health practitioner refers to another provider because they think that they offer a valuable service, we're doing that out of the goodness, uh, you know, out of goodness. We're doing it because we think it's in the client's best interest. Nobody's going to be writing us a check later on saying, oh, thanks for making that referral. Here's 50 bucks or whatever. And you know, in our industry, we're required to give informed consent to make sure that we are being really thorough in describing our services, what clients can expect from us. And so I think that sometimes we might assume that other industries might be as forthcoming. Um, and that's not necessarily the case, but I think it's good for mental health providers and consumers in general to know that it might not be a fiduciary relationship that you can ask questions. There are ways that you can find out so that you can make an informed decision as you're looking for a financial advisor. Yeah, it's complicated. And, uh, you know, I think consumers should just try to be as educated as they can. But that being said, like, I think there's been like a, a dark cloud, I think, in some ways over financial advisors because of this issue. Mm-hmm. And that being said, like, I just want to say that, you know, I think most advisors that I meet and that I know are really good uh, and really do care about their clients, they, even if they're not technically not in a fiduciary capacity, like mm-hmm. ones that do represent a company, like I still think they believe what they're doing is right. And that they, you know, the company that backs them, you know, has good products and services and stuff like that. So it's kind of murky in that regard. Like, you know, just because someone is selling a product doesn't mean they're always bad. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of a tough distinction. It's a delicate line. Um, and, you know, with, with us and our model, just to be fully transparent, you know, we still do sell products because mm-hmm. we think products have a role in the plan. Just like a doctor would say, well, you know, I still think you could use prescriptions or, you know, drugs in some way sure. to help mm-hmm. with your needs. That doesn't make me only a salesperson or a bad person. It's it's kind of this blend. I, but I think if you're only selling products, you know, with no advice, and I think that's where it can be harder to say is this person really, you know, the best fit for me. And I think that you know, what you're highlighting is, is exactly why. You know, why honestly, why Melissa and I were so excited to have you on because, as you said, I mean, this is the kind of thing where a lot of people don't know, or they, a lot of people have misconceptions. But it's really so important and critical that 
people understand this, the, these differences, understand, you know, um, the role that you play, um, you know, a company like Offit Advisors plays. And I think it's really great. So I appreciate you making that clarification. One question I have for you is, you know, we often talk about on this podcast, and this is kind of a mentality that exists within the mental health world, especially, that a lot of times practitioners are almost afraid to make money, right? When I'm advising clients as a business attorney, essentially, talking to them about their practice, there's always a sense of, well, can I charge that much? Can I do this? Can I do that? You know, isn't my job as a clinician to help the client? How can I be helping the client and making money? And of course, who was and I are of the, of the opinion, and we, we talk about this a lot, that you're absolutely entitled to make money. You're entitled to make a living to, to do this, you know, while still providing services to people, right? But one of the things I think is because we're talking about money, because there's that conception, that relationship with money for a lot of people in the business, there's also a fear factor that exists. And it's an intimidation factor. And a lot of people, you know, especially if they're starting out of practice or if they're a smaller practice, um, there's sometimes it can be overwhelming trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? What do I need to do? You know, so, you know, well, I guess what I'd say is what are some basic initial um, steps um, that a practitioner can, should consider? You know, what are questions? What, what, what kind of, you know, if they're saying, I, I've never done this before, I don't know how to start, what can, how can they kind of, Take some initial steps here. Yeah, um, it's a good, good. I keep saying this; it's a good question. It's not, but it's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think practitioners, any business, should make money. I mean, I think right. you're there to serve people, but you make money by doing a good job. Like people aren't going to pay you money unless there's an exchange of value. Mm-hmm. So if you have something that's actually valuable to them in some way, shape or form, you know, that's going to help them or their situation, there should be an exchange of value. If I'm providing Mm -hmm. a service that I've I've spent my own money and time and energy for getting trained for Mm -hmm. and learning and understanding and let's say student loans and tons of time, like I, I bore, I, I incurred a cost, you know, to become this expert. Right. And we have a cost to serve clients and to right. do what we do to, to make your situation better. And I did that so I could earn a living. And I and I, I earn a living by serving you, right? So it's like this fair trade concept. Mm-hmm. So I think they shouldn't feel bad about making money because it's about helping people, but it's doing mm-hmm. it in a fair way. And if it's one-sided where one person is making too much money in exchange for not enough value, or someone's getting too much value and not not paying anything or not paying enough, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the essence of like, you know, our capitalistic society. And I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what was, your, what was your other question? No, I know. No, so the follow-up question, no, and that, that's fine. I actually really appreciate you saying that because I feel like, and, and most of the knows from talking to practitioners, I know from talking to practitioners that sometimes they feel like they need to have that permission granted to them. So I'm hoping that them hearing you, a financial advisor, someone with this financial background, telling them, our listeners this, gives them that permission. Because I think what you just made a really, really important point. Um, so my question is then, a follow-up question would be, you know, if I am a practitioner and I've done no financial planning, I have no idea how to start. What are some initial things I should do? What, what can I do to kind of get over that fear? What can I do to kind of take some proactive steps? You know, is it reaching out to someone like you to set up an appointment? Or is there things I should do in advance of having an appointment, for example? So you're talking about like someone that owns their own practice or business mm-hmm. owner? Yeah, someone who wants to start taking control of their financial future. Right? Okay. Well, yeah. Well, okay. I'll try and touch on that 
business wise sure. and personal wise. Yeah. So, sure. you know, I think if you're a business owner, you got to think through. Well, how am I how am I going to make money? Um, you know, what's my capacity? So, if I only have so many hours in a week, you know, let's say I've got forty hours a week to work, or fifty hours, or sixty mm-hmm. hours, whatever you want it to be. Sure. Okay. How am I going to allocate those hours? And how many, you know, clients or or patients can I serve? And, you know, how much money do I want to make? So Mm -hmm. let's just say like, I want to make $100,000. Okay. What do I need to charge? And how many people can I serve with the hours that I have to make that revenue number or that income number? So it's thinking through, okay, well then if I only have this many slots I can fill or this many hours I can fill, Mm -hmm. And I want to make this much. This is how much I need to charge. And I just need to find enough people to, you know, to fit that. If, you know, let's say it's a thousand dollars per person and I can serve a hundred people. Sure. You need to find a hundred people that can pay me a thousand dollars a year. Right. Does that concept make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. From there, you know, just getting started, I think going back to the cash flow thing, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a, a business owner or a personal, you know, just a personal individual. You know, if I make X and my expenses are Y, you know, what does that leave at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how can I make best use of that money that's extra, that's the surplus? And then what do I need to be aware of? Like, do I need an emergency fund? I, I would say a business owner and a personal person needs that. Like, mm-hmm. I need three months or six months worth of expenses to fall back on if there's a rainy day or something goes Got wrong. Got it. Do I need, you know, additional resources above and beyond that, you know? Um, what if X, Y, C other thing goes wrong? Do I need insurance for that? Or can I mitigate that risk in another way? And then, you know, how can I plan for things that not just go wrong, but how can I plan for things that can go right? So, you know, can I invest in this area to make my business better or my personal life better or save for this or grow money here? You know, these are all, all kinds of things, but yeah, I, I think what you said, like getting a financial advisor an accountant, a lawyer, Mm-hmm. You know, a business coach or a marketing person. These are all different people you need to have on your team uh, in different ways. Yeah. No, I'm wanting to go back to fees a little bit because this is always a hot topic for mental health providers setting their fees. And there's a lot of debate. Do I take insurance? Do I not take insurance? And lots, lots going on there. And since, you know, financial advising is not our arena, if someone is working with a financial advisor, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what mental health providers should expect in terms of advisors' fees, not like a number of like they tend to charge this amount of money. But at least in my little bit of experience, there are some financial advisors who charge maybe one flat rate. There are others who charge a percentage. And so I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about that for people who might be interested in looking for a financial advisor, if you could just explain that a little bit. There's going to be different ways to do it across the board and and no practitioner is going to be exactly alike. Mm -hmm. I would say in the investment world, that's probably still the most common way that most advisors charge predominantly. And what that means is, you know, if they're managing your portfolio or managing your retirement plan, they're charging a percentage, normally about 1%, give or take a little bit less, a little bit more of the assets that they're managing. And that can also sometimes include financial planning for that fee as well. And then some other advisors will charge like a a financial planning fee outright or independent of the assets under management fee. And that could be an upfront yearly payment or it could be a monthly payment, like a monthly subscription. Mm -hmm. That's the second type. 
Uh, if you're doing accounting or bookkeeping um, or taxes, that usually is a fee, you know, for filing a return, preparing right. a return, getting tax advice, or you know, if you're doing bookkeeping or accounting, you could probably have an hourly rate mm-hmm. uh, for that service. But that also could be a, um, a monthly retainer. And then if you're doing insurance, that's a commission from the insurance company. So that's not a fee that's paid by the insurance company. So you pay a premium uh, to the insurance carrier, which then compensates the practitioner a percentage of that premium, uh, whether it's in the first year or even years after that, you know, for placing that insurance policy and and servicing it. And I don't know if you're going to have an opinion on this one. You might, but is there a particular model that you believe is most advantageous for the consumer, for mental health providers, let's say, who would be seeking these services? Is there a model that you highly recommend? His own, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'd say our model. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, we've designed our model for what we think makes the most sense. I mean, as any practitioner would do. But I think, you know, in, in, in the advisory world, you know, we talked about this earlier, but, you know, there's commission-based advisors, there's fee-only advisors, and there's fee-based advisors. Where we fall is kind of that hybrid in between the fee-based. The reason I think that makes the most sense, in in my opinion, uh, for anybody is because it gives um, the most flexibility and most capability. Mm -hmm. So if I'm commission-only, that means that I can only sell products that give me a commission. I can't charge fees for managing assets or charging for financial advice, you know, so I'm at a disadvantage there, I feel. If I'm fee only, and therefore I can't, you know, help a client with disability insurance or life insurance, or let's say they need an annuity or, you know, a business policy or whatever it is, then I'm at a disadvantage there because I can't help that client with that. So what I like about our model, what I believe fee-based, which means I can charge fees, but I also can generate commissions. Um, is that means I can do both. And I, I think personally, that gives me the most tools in my toolkit to be able to serve clients. And if I was just all one or the other, mm-hmm. um, you know, I view it as a disadvantage. That's how I see it. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing where, you know, it much as with, you know, mental health therapy or even as myself as an attorney, it's going to be may vary from client to client. It's going to be what their needs are and how can you best serve them that's going to kind of dictate what happens, I guess it sounds like in some ways, correct? That's right. I think I think of the advisor's world, you know, and I'm just being very, very blunt here. Please. You know, um, there, there's a community of fee-only advisors. And mm-hmm. I just want to say that, you know, I think they're good advisors. They mean well. But oftentimes, I think fee-only advisors like to promote that they have no conflicts of interest and that they're the best form of advisors. But I think there's no model that doesn't have some form of conflict of interest. It's impossible. So a fee-only advisor, let's say you're only you know, generating revenue for your business and your model is by, you know, fees. So let's say, you know, you're, you know, you're managing a, you know, a million dollar portfolio for someone or half a million dollar portfolio for someone, mm-hmm. you know, and they come to you for advice and you're fee only. And you say, I'm a pure fiduciary. I don't get any commissions. I do everything. Right. It's some fee only. And they say, well, you know, what do you think I should do? I want to buy this property, you know, at the at the ocean or you know at the beach, and I want to take out two hundred thousand dollars from that portfolio that you're managing, you know, to go buy this property. Well, then that puts that practitioner that's fee only in a conflict, because if they say, well, yeah, you know, you should take the money out, well, then that's going to reduce their fee. 
right? Mm-hmm. By the amount that they took out. And if they say, well, you know, I don't think you should buy it because, you know, maybe in the back of their mind, that's going to take away some revenue from me. So that's a conflict. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm trying to say that, you know, there's not nothing perfect, you know, each practitioner has to do what's what's right for what they feel. And that's what we do as well. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you going over all of this information again. Financial advisors can be really helpful for our personal finances or if we're working at an agency Mm -hmm. or we're managing a business um, that can be really helpful since it's definitely not our background. And again, it's important for businesses to be financially healthy because if businesses are not financially healthy, then we can't do the work that we want to do to serve our clients. And if we're not doing financially well on a personal level, then we're, we're not going to be feeling so awesome. And that's going to show up in the therapy room with us. And therapists work hard. We work really hard, regardless of the environment. Therapists work hard and we put a lot of heart into it. And so we want to make sure that, you know, the revenue that we do generate from our work, that we're making wise decisions with it. Yeah. And I I guarantee you that there are going to be people who are going to listen to this episode and based on the things you said, Ben, and they're going to, once you, some of the stuff you said, absolutely, definitely, you're, you're educating people who are going to listen to this podcast just based on what you said. And that just, I think, goes to show you how important this is and often how little financial literacy there is. And that's why, again, why this is so important for our practitioners to be considering. So I guess one last question I have for you is, you know, what is one thing or two things? I mean, if you have more than one thing you can provide, what is one thing you'd want someone listening to take away from our conversation today? You know, and again, if you have a couple of things, that's great too. Well, you know, I think know what you do is valuable and it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said earlier, you know, you're trained, you've studied this, you know this, whatever you're doing, you have passion around it and know that what you do really makes a difference in people's lives. And that's important, you know, because I think that's really what it's about, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what gets you out of bed, you know, what gets mm-hmm. you moving is, you know, you're impacting other people in a positive way and then you're generating revenue, you know, because of the good work that you're doing. And that's a good thing. Um, and then in terms of, you know, financial stuff, you know, just a few things that I would say, um, you know, have a positive outlook in our, in our in our industry. A lot of people talk about the markets and, you know, a lot of people are think, thinking like what could go wrong in the markets. Just know that overall, if you're saving and you're investing and doing it on a regular basis, it's really a great way to build wealth long term because the markets, while they are not up every single year in the long term, they really do go up uh, dramatically. So if you're saving some of your money each and every month or each and every year and you're putting it away, you're getting tax benefits and you know, putting it away and growing it, that's really going to do wonders for your, your financial balance sheet and your family and give you a lot of freedom, which is good. You know, and I, I just you know, say, think through your finances you know, like as if you, you know, treat your patients. And I, this is not a personal plug, but I really believe this. It's like, you know, go to your doctor every year because you know, not just when you feel sick, but as a proactive measure to make sure that you're healthy, you know, who knows what the doctor might see or find mm-hmm. to make sure that you're healthy, but it gives you peace of mind and reassurance and confidence that you're doing the right things. You know, do the same thing with your finances. Yeah. You know, go talk to a financial planner, have one, hire one, you know, hire accountants, hire bookkeepers, like make sure your stuff is in order because it's going to, it's going to help you. It's going to make you be a better practitioner and you're going to do a better job for your clients by doing so if you have your stuff financially healthy, like I said at the beginning. And those are all things that Dan and I promote here. 
Yeah. And, I, and yeah, to your point, I think that is when practitioners are have on the table in front of them, you know, metaphysically, you know, all the things they're worrying about, right? Not having your financial affairs in order, having concerns like, am I ready for retirement? Am I planning for retirement? Those are big stressors. So to your point, I think you're absolutely right that being able to have that in order and have someone you can talk to on you know, a regular basis or as needed, really be for their own mental health of the of practitioners, you know, who aren't doing mental health uh, work with other people can really be a big stress reliever. And plenty of yeah. mental health practitioners who would like to pay off their student loans too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I would say the same thing, like, you know, from a mental health practitioner standpoint, like anybody, like, you know, see a therapist, see a psychologist, you know, see, see someone. It's good to, to do that. It's healthy. You know, it's, it's like mental exercise or it's like mental health mm-hmm. like take care of it like it's not something to be embarrassed about or shy about like it's a healthy proactive smart thing to do but i would say that relates the same way in finances I, you know it's a lot of people that say like oh i've got debt or i don't have great cash flow or you know i don't qualify or i shouldn't see a financial planner because i'm not ready yet but that's the opposite like you, you should see them right away you know, just like you, you see a, a mental mental practitioner for the same reason. And I think that's such an interesting point, right? Because I'm thinking how vulnerable, I'm thinking about the vulnerability that can be involved or show up for that, right? Showing someone your book, someone showing your numbers as you're talking about seeing a doctor, right? That's a person you're like stepping on a scale and they get to see the real numbers, you know, with a financial planner or a bookkeeper, you're like showing them the books, you're showing them the real deal. And how vulnerable that might feel for people to take that step and to know that that person is there to be honest, see what's going on, see how they can help you. Absolutely. I think that goes to your point though, right? Is that that's exactly why someone like Ben is so important, right? Because you're revealing the information that people are often embarrassed about or sensitive about. But this is someone who you can and should be able to have that conversation with. Right. And I do have one final question for you where you will get to plug your services in just a minute because we might have people who are interested in reaching out to you or knowing how they can connect with you. But I have one more question for you. We started out today's episode talking about how one of the reasons that you went into this line of work was to make positive, have positive impacts on people's lives and help them in their financial affairs. And so I'm wondering if you could just let us know about some of the ways that you see people's lives positively impacted by taking care of their financial well-being. Um, yeah, I mean, so so many ways. Um, I mean, I think our our job is, you know, to give people peace of mind and confidence in organization, accountability, clear goals, a successful retirement plan. You know, help them grow their balance sheet, their net worth. You know, make the right decisions. And there's so many day-to-day decisions and goals and things to accomplish that, you know, if you do, if you stack them one right decision after the other, you know, small little things, but they all add up to one bigger thing. And if you can do one extra thing, right. that maybe you wouldn't have done on your own. It makes a huge difference, huge difference, you know, just small things like, you know, we, we talked to a client today, actually, um, you know, that is three credits away from fully qualifying for social security benefits. And they didn't even know that. So it's like this person just worked like one more quarter, they would 
be fully eligible for Social Security benefits, and otherwise they wouldn't be. And so let's say they retired at 62. They would get nothing versus getting like a minimum of $1,000 a month for the rest of their lives. That's a huge thing that we, we saw. And it's like similar to like, again, like a, a medical wow. practitioner noticing something, you know, that maybe they wouldn't have known otherwise, or, you know, or, you know, we've had clients that, uh, you know, had had, you know, small things like, like their, their basement flooded. And we will make a small comment. Like, did you call your insurance company? No, I didn't. Okay. You should call them. And then they'll get like $10,000 towards it, right? And that's a huge difference in their financial affairs on a day-to-day basis. So it's like all these little things like, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see them, how they're invested in their 401k at their job. And maybe they didn't realize they're all in a bond fund or all in cash or mm-hmm. it's one small little tweak that will make a huge difference over time. So, you know, I think that's why people need to do it. You know, it's yeah. all these little things make a big difference. And, and I would just say, yeah, to your point, like just by using other, like I have no idea what those terms mean. And that's exactly why this is so important, right? That's exactly why you should be talking to someone. You know, we often talk on this podcast about you know what you know and know what you don't know. And if you don't know stuff, then you need to go find the right person to talk to. And someone like that is the right person to talk to when um, you have these financial questions. So, yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for letting us, me, grill you with questions today. Yeah, uh, totally. <laughs> um, if anyone is wanting to reach out to you, they're interested in learning more about your services, how can they find you? Yeah, uh, they can call us at our office line, which is uh, 410-600-PLAN, P-L-A-N, uh, or 7526. Uh, they also can uh, email us at offitadvisors.com or go to our website, OffitAdvisors.com and that's O-F-F-I-T. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our conversation for today. You know, Ben, I, I think I've said this to you privately and, and I'm going to say it again now while we're recording. You know, I really am grateful that you've uh, joined us today. You know, this is a topic where um, I really think it's something that our better listeners can benefit from hearing about. Um, and I hope that they find it as informative and useful as, as I have just even sitting here listening to you. So we're really grateful for you being here. To everyone else, thank you again for listening. We, we appreciate it. As always, to join the conversation, if you have questions, comments, um, your own anecdotes, um, we welcome them all. Critiques, welcome to. Um, you can find us on our Facebook page, as always. You can find us on the web. And please do reach out. And we will talk to everyone soon. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.